Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers the vast global landscape of the war on terror. It's been over 20 years. It's been a long war. That's why we named it the Long War Journal. A lot has been going on. A lot of this has been masked by the situation in Ukraine. The Russian invasion of Ukraine rightfully has uh, overshadowed a lot of the developments in the war on terror, but that war is still occurring. Today, we're going to discuss the, we're going to go back to Afghanistan, a place I'd rather um, not talk about, just uh, given what's happened over the last year. It's been a, it's been a long year plus with Afghanistan. And I, I routinely try to put it out of my head, but the events there and the groups operating there uh, don't don't want Afghanistan to go away. Afghanistan is a, a safe haven for terrorist group under the control of the Taliban. Um, Al Qaeda is operating there. A host of Central Asian terror groups continue to operate there. Um, we're going to have uh, an update in, in a week or two on a group known as uh, Jamaat Ansarullah, which is a Tajik terror group that um, is operating in Afghanistan. The Taliban put the leader of this group, who is a, a Tajik national in control of five districts in northern Afghanistan that happened last summer. So this, you know, contradicts the Taliban's claim that the, um, that it doesn't allow foreign terror groups or foreign terrorists to operate on their soil. Um, that's just merely one example. We know that other terror groups are operating there, including the Pakistani Taliban. But, uh, what's caught the attention in Afghanistan, uh, over the last two weeks is, um, been the string of attacks launched by the Islamic State. Now, the Islamic State, uh, also known as the Islamic State Khorasan province, often called ISIS-K or ISK, uh, is an enemy of the Taliban. It, uh, it, uh, doesn't, it won't, uh, submit to the Taliban rule. The Islamic State's, uh, way of operating is it, it wants all jihadists to swear, swear fealty to its emir. Um, the Taliban won't do that and Al Qaeda groups won't do that. And therefore they're mortal enemies. And the Taliban, the Taliban and the Islamic State particularly are, um, bitter enemies because the Taliban wants primacy of the jihad in Afghanistan. The Taliban controls all 34 of Afghanistan provinces. Uh, the Islamic State as a terror is operating as a terror group. It doesn't control territory. But it does have the capacity to launch terror attacks. Uh, since about November, it's been largely dormant, uh, very small scale attacks uh, here and there, but nothing really of note. And then beginning on April uh, 19th, there was a bombing at a school in Kabul. It targeted the, the Shia Hazara minority. Um, and at least six people were killed in that attack. Two days later, another attack against the Shia in uh, uh, Mazari Sharif in Balkh province, killed 31 people and wounded over 80. And then the next day in Kunduz province in uh, Kunduz city, it hit a Sufi mosque, uh, um, killed 33 and wounded at least uh, two or three dozen in that attack. Um, Sufi are a uh, branch of Shia Islam, a mystical branch. And uh, the Islamic state doesn't like the Shia, doesn't like the Sufis. The Islamic State doesn't like anyone, but uh, but unless you're swearing allegiance to the Islamic State, 
the Islamic State launched a mortar attack in April against Uzbekistan. It did it from uh, right along the border with Uzbekistan. Um, this was the first attack uh, uh, launched by the Islamic State out from Afghanistan against another country. Again, a mortar slash rocket attack. Um, but uh, there's some, something of note. So the Islamic State is that the United Nations estimates the Islamic State has several thousand fighters. Um, how does the Islamic State have the ability to conduct these types of attacks? Well, you know, it's, it's operating underground as a terrorist group. It doesn't control ter- any territory inside of Afghanistan, but it's operating on a cellular level in, in multiple areas. Previously, um, the stronghold of the Islamic State was in Nangahar province in eastern Afghanistan, as well as in Kunar in northeastern Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban launched some operations uh, to root out the Islamic State um, and had success. It took whatever towns that may have been under control or influenced by the Islamic State, and they claimed to have killed and captured hundreds of Islamic State fighters. But the Islamic State, um, it's... How was it formed? It was made up in, of, in, I was 2015 of former Pakistani Taliban fighters or fighters from the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan, uh, disaffected members of the Afghan Taliban and a handful of Al Qaeda fighters, again, who were all disaffected with, uh, either Al Qaeda or the Taliban of their organizations. Sometimes they just disagreed with tactics and strategy. Um, some of them may have been cut out uh, or marginalized by their groups. And, you know, and keep in mind at this point, at that point in time, too, the Islamic State was the hot item. It declared, it declared the caliphate in Iraq and Syria. Um, this is something that the more bloodthirsty or, or impatient jihadists um, were very supportive of. And that, that's what that garnered support. And this is where this is how the Islamic State had, you know, how it formed. And it's able to reach out to the more, uh, the, to the jihadists or potential jihadists who share a worldview. So they're active in recruiting in Afghanistan and Pakistan and other areas of South Asia and Central Asia. Um, uh, but the group itself remains, uh, comparatively speaking to the Taliban, it's marginalized. It can carry out, uh, you know, a spate of attacks like this. And in this case, the Islamic State announced, a uh a campaign called the revenge of the two sheikhs um it's for its previous emir and a spokesman who were killed in in raids in um in syria uh, also happened over the ramadan so that's an incentive for those attacks to be to be carried out and it was an opportunity for the islamic state to get itself back on the map get its name in the press and and show that it's relevant inside of afghanistan I wrote an article, uh, I can't remember when, several months ago, noting that while the Islamic State is certainly a problem in Afghanistan, the real problem actually is the Taliban. And that the Taliban um, really holds all the cards when it comes to, you know, who has the chance for success inside of Afghanistan. Again, it controls our, all 34 provinces. It controls the, all the government institutions. It has well over a hundred thousand fighters in its rank. It has a military. It has all the military hardware and ammunition left by the U.S. Um, or get, that was given to the Afghan military, that the now defunct Afghan National Army and Afghan National Police and the NDS, National Directorate of Security. 
um, you know, uh, it, it has a, the Taliban has a state sponsor in both Pakistan and to a lesser degree Iran, whereas the Islamic state is isolated. It doesn't play well with others because again, it's either the, the Islamic state, essentially it's their way or the highway. Either you swear allegiance to their emir and join the Islamic state or you're you know, you're against the program. And whereas the Taliban is, is, um, and the Al Qaeda aligned jihadist groups are definitely play a more clever political game when it comes to, they work, they play well with others. Um, so, you know, the Islamic state threat inside of Afghanistan isn't going to go away, but the Islamic, um, but the Islamic state, at least at this in the short and medium term, unless something changes, um, the Islamic State is really just going to be a a nuisance more for the Taliban. They just can't muster the fighters. They can't control territory. They can't. They don't have access to the weapons and ammunition and and uh, to state sponsors. Uh, all of those things. So and and um, they're just they're just limited in what they can do inside of Afghanistan, other than carry out terrorist attacks and be a nuisance for the Taliban. Now, this doesn't mean it's not a problem for the Taliban. The Taliban itself doesn't like, um, it doesn't like to show weakness. It wants to have full control of Afghanistan. And as long as the Islamic State can carry out attacks such as it has over the last, uh, several weeks, um, it challenges the, the primacy of the Taliban and its control, uh, full control over Afghanistan. Um, so what has been happening in, in the world of Afghanistan um, when it comes with respect to the Taliban? And we all know that the Taliban shelters foreign terror groups. I'd mentioned Ansarul and, of course, Al-Qaeda and its its branch in, in South, um, South Asia, Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent. But the Taliban is also allowing the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan to operate on its soil. And attacks inside of Afghanistan, I'm sorry, inside of Pakistan – that are carried out by the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan. Uh, I believe the number has doubled since the last year. So the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan wants what the Afghan Taliban has. It wants to create an Islamic emirate of Pakistan. It wants to impose, uh, it wants to put its leader on the throne and impose its harsh version of Sharia law, just that, just as is in Afghanistan. Um, and the Afghan Taliban is supportive of this. Thousands upon thousands of Pakistani Taliban fighters are operating inside of Afghanistan, conducting cross-border attacks. They have safe haven there. And within the last couple of weeks, the Pakistani state launched airstrikes in both coast, uh, in east, eastern Afghanistan and Kunar in northeastern Afghanistan. And the number, I believe, of about 47 Afghan people were killed in these attacks. A large number of, of them were civilians, were women and children and, and, uh, and the elderly. Uh, so this has created a big, uh, uh, well, at least in, I think in the press, a big, uh, the, the idea that there's some type of divide between the Afghan Taliban and the Pakistani state. And, the reality of that is that this is more of a nuisance for both groups, for both the Afghan Taliban and for the Pakistani government than a problem that is, it's, it's not likely that this is a problem that will lead to open conflict between the two. And the reason for this is that the Afghan Taliban are, is supported by the Pakistani state. When I say the state, 
talking about the military, the inner service intelligence directorate, um, and, you know, basically the Pakistani deep state that controls foreign policy. And what you have in Afghanistan with respect to the Afghan Taliban and the Pakistani state is Afghanistan with the Taliban in control of Afghanistan, Pakistan has what, um, what its elites have referred to as strategic depth. And what that means is Afghanistan can't be used by India to undermine activities in Afghanistan. If there's a conflict between Pakistan and India, they have, um, jihadists that are based in Afghanistan that could be used to fight in uh, to help defend Pakistan. They could always retreat into Afghanistan, Pakistani, you know, if there's problems with the military. So that's, that's in a nutshell what strategic depth is. And strategic depth for the Pakistani state is far more important than, and I'm not, these aren't, you know, I'm characterizing this as a, this is what the Pakistan, how the Pakistani officials would view this, the nuisance of some of their civilians and military and, and policemen being killed by the, the movement of the Pal- Taliban in Pakistan. It's highly cynical, especially given the fact that tens of thousands of Pakistani soldiers, civilians, um, and civilians, uh, civilian employees or government employees, policemen, have been killed over the last uh, decade and a half, particularly from 2006 to 2000 and let's say about 15, 16, when the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan controlled large portions of Northwestern Pakistan. Um, but the Pakistani deep state is, or the establishment is what also what they're called is okay with this. It's a price they have to pay in order to support the Afghan Taliban. Um, it's the price they have to pay in order to maintain that strategic death because the Pakistani state, the elites know that the Afghan Taliban in supports the Pakistani Taliban. The, the that Duran line, the is or the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan is not recognized by the Pashtuns that live there that make up a large portion of the Taliban. You know, uh, the Pakistani Taliban, depending on what side of the border, they could be Pakistani Taliban or Afghan Taliban. Um, look no further than individuals like Hafiz Gul Bahadur or the Haqqani Network, um, who operate on both sides of the border. The Haqqanis for uh, two decades, their headquarters was in Miram Shah in North Waziristan. Uh, so, you know, uh, the Haqqanis are Pakistanis and Afghans. So, you know, this is, this is part of that, what, uh, Tom Jocelyn, um, brilliantly referred to as the wheel of jihad. The Pakistani state fights the, the Pakistani Taliban, which, uh, goes, is helped by the Afghan Taliban. The Afghan Taliban is supported by the Pakistani state. And, you know, and on and on this goes. That's just one little, little glimpse of the, of the wheel. But, as long as that goes on, that wheel, that wheel will not be broken as long as uh, Pakistan views Afghanistan and strategic depth there, uh, to be far more important than the lives of its own soldiers, policemen, and civilians. It's probably one of the more cynical things I've seen in my almost two decade career of covering this. But then again, we're talking about Pakistan here. Um, Pakistani state is, you know, the uh 
the epitome of hypocrisy when it comes to this war. And then we could look no further than Osama bin Laden, right? Uh, Osama bin Laden had is, you know, he lived basically in uh, just outside the West Point of Pakistan in a, in a town called Abbottabad. Um, and this isn't a city where you just pick up and move to. In Pakistan, they the Pakistani military and, and intelligence service knows everyone who's in and around Abbottabad. And yet somehow Osama bin Laden was able to live there for years, have a large compound, have a courier going in and out. And that's ultimately how we tracked him down. Um, and able, we're, we're able to kill him. His, uh, his anniversary was just recently on May 2nd. Um, the U.S. special, uh, I'm sorry, U.S. Navy SEALs, uh, and the CIA conducted a daring raid into, Ab- into Abbottabad. Um, shut down Pakistan. They had to shut down the Pakistan's, um, air defense radars and black out portions of the city and flew hot. They couldn't tell the Pakistanis. This is how you know that Pakistan is a duplicitous state, right? They had, they couldn't tell the Pakistanis they were conducting this raid to capture or kill bin Laden. Um, because you couldn't trust the Pakistanis. Um, and, and rightfully so. And the Pakistani state, and this was probably began the nadir of the relationship between the U.S. and Pakistan. Um, Pakistan was far more, the Pakistani elites and everybody in Pakistan was far more angry at the United States for going in and unilaterally conducting the raid on bin Laden's compound and killing bin Laden than they were for the Pakistani elites, um, either knowingly or unknowingly sheltering bin Laden outside of Pakistan's West Point. Um, but that's, that really tells you everything you need to know about Pakistan. Um, that's why they haven't been an ally. And that's why negotiations, when we were negotiating with the Taliban and Zalmay Khalizad, who was the special representative for the, for Afghanistan reconciliation, a uh, position that doesn't exist anymore because Afghanistan is reconciled under the rule of the Taliban. That's why when he called the Pakistani government a partner in peace in Afghanistan, um, you know, Tom and I knew that uh, the, the, either he was lying through his teeth because everyone in the U.S. government understands that or um, or he was just basically he knew what he was doing. It was just a, yet another cynical ploy. But, uh, you know, and I'll conclude here with um, bin Laden, right? It's been 11 years since he's been killed. Um, we just, I just detailed, uh, you know, the, the background of his death in, in, inside of Pakistan. And I don't think bin Laden's death um, had the impact that we thought it would. Well, certainly Tom and I knew what, um, knew that the death of bin Laden would not lead to the collapse of Al Qaeda. And it hasn't. You've had Al Qaeda establish several new branches. Um, all since his death, Al Qaeda's, all of its branches swore allegiance to its new emir. Well, not new. It's 11 years now to Ayman al Zawahiri, who was Al Qaeda's deputy on the day of 9 11. So the man who was second in charge of Al Qaeda on 9 11 and who was one of the co founders of Al Qaeda is still alive 21 years after 9 11. Um, it took us 10 years to, to get bin Laden. It's, we haven't gotten Zawahiri and he's still active despite the, the characterization as Zawahiri being a crank or someone who's not in control of the group. And yet we're seeing Al Qaeda branches, particularly in Africa, flourish. 
Al Qaeda's had problems in Yemen, uh, without a doubt, but you have to remember there's an ebb and flow to the jihad, not just globally, but in certain theaters. At times they're up. For instance, in Yemen, Al Qaeda controlled, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula controlled territory from, I believe it was 2011 to 2012, most of the, uh, of southern Yemen, and then did so again in 2015, 2016. Shabab, Al Qaeda's branch, in uh, East Africa, and particularly in Somalia, uh, control, controlled most of southern and central Somalia, um, including the capital of Mogadishu from about 2007-8 to about 2012. Um, and then the African Union put a, put a mission together with the help of the U.S. and drove them out. But now they, they're estimated to control at least 25% of that. That estimate is two years old and things have only gotten worse in Somalia. So for instance, you know, so Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, they may be on, on a downward path right now, but they're not defeated. Um, Shabab isn't on an upward path after being on previously being on a downward path. So there's ups and downs to this, to the, to the jihad, the death of bin Laden. Um, certainly was a blow to Al Qaeda in the short term, but I don't think. It had the impact of causing the collapse of the leadership. And as a matter of fact, the U.S. largely took its foot off the pedal after bin Laden's death. The drone strikes in Pakistan that were targeting al-Qaeda's leadership uh, began to, to dwindle immediately after bin Laden's death. 2012 was the peak year. Uh, and then they, they it, uh, and I believe in, it was either 2011 or 2012, there was a drone strike about one every three days in Pakistan. And we killed a lot of senior Al-Qaeda leaders, but Al-Qaeda adapted. We we got the bin Laden files. So that was something that Tom Jocelyn, and I helped him with that a little bit, but Tom really played a big role in getting the CIA to release the full tranche of of the bin Laden files. Uh, very pr- One of our things that both Tom and I are very uh, proud, we, we got a, a, a sneak peek at those. We got the first look at them and we put out analysis on that. Um, the files... Recovered at Bin Laden's compound showed that he wasn't a lion in winter as the Washington Post characterized him, or he wasn't, you know, disinterested or um, leader. He he was an effective leader for Al Qaeda, and he was a unifying leader for Al Qaeda as well. But Al Qaeda didn't collapse after his death. Zawad Kiri took the reins. Um, he's weathered several crises, including the rise of ISIS, which I'm not certain that Osama Bin Laden would have been able to weather. Um, the split between or the, the break off of the Islamic State from Al Qaeda was a, a monumental or a, 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 a cataclysmic, uh, event in the global jihad. But again, Al Qaeda still exists. It still is conducting numerous attacks. It's, it's working. It's continuing its project of establishing, uh, emirates with the ultimate goal of establishing a global caliphate. And imposing Sharia law in all areas in under its control. That's what Al Qaeda was founded to do, and that's what it's working to do today. Um, just because you know the U.S. the and the U.S. is disengaged is disengaged largely from this war. It's disengaged from Somalia. It's the French disengaged from from Mali. Um, obviously, the debacle in Afghanistan and the withdrawal. We see that Afghanistan is a safe haven. We're in, when you look at the picture of the global jihad today, we're in a far worse situation than we were pre 9-11. I would argue with the exception of our homeland security, which there a lot has been done to strengthen that. But we have to keep in mind that Al Qaeda's goal, only goal 
or its goal is not to um, carry out attacks inside the United States and kill civilians and, and um, strike military and government targets. That's merely a tactic. Its goal is to establish a caliphate. Um, the, it uses the tactic of attacking us here in the West or, or Western interests abroad to um, to achieve that goal, to weaken us, to get us to withdraw. And, you know, Bin Laden said um, after 9-11, he, he said, you know, we're going to see who the strong horse and the weak horse is. Um, you know, 21 years after the, the jihad and after Bin Laden said that, you know, the U.S. and the West looks like a weak horse right now, but those things can change. Um, we've had leadership issues spanning both Republican and Democrat, uh, Democratic administrations uh, that um, we have significant problems within our foreign policy establishment, within the military community, the issue of intelligence and, and what is happening in these theaters has been, it's become highly politicized. What we see often is analysis that's based on desired outcomes um, of policy outcomes, as opposed to examining the facts on the ground. And until we fix these problems, the United States is going to continue to look like a weak horse when it comes to um, dealing with our jihadist enemies. And on that upbeat note, I will end this episode of Generation Jihad. Thanks again for everyone for joining us for today's episode. Just a reminder, you could find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one. Thanks again, and we'll see you again soon.